Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to you. And uh, I have to say that was the cutest scripture reading yet. So thank you, families who helped with that. Thank you, Laura. And thank you, young adults, for laying down that barrage of background noise. Uh, your fellowship, you know, it made it hard to hear the passage here and there, but it's alive. I like it. Okay, um, we come off a week in which some stuff happened. Uh, and I don't know, anybody watch any sports lately? <laughs> so NBA basketball is a team sport, right? But who got a lot of attention rightly this week? <laughs> Different answers there, and rightly so, but Steph Curry is who I have in mind. But one on five, it wouldn't have gone as well, right? There, there was a lot of team play last week, and uh, we celebrate the team, but we also notice the people who stand out in the, the performance that they give. And that's a little bit like what's happening in the flow of Genesis that gets us to this point. And you go, what? So let's back up. When we restarted our Genesis uh, time, it was in Genesis chapter 10, the, the, the table of the nations. It was about all the peoples on the earth spreading out. Okay, big picture. And then it focused next on this city, Babel, where a bunch of people were in kind of open rebellion against God, and here's that next layer down. And then last week, it was a genealogy. Well, that's not everybody. That's not a city. It's a family. And now we're going to start focusing on one man. And that one man is Abram, and that one man is just a piece of God's plan, but he's a significant piece. He's kind of a big hero, and his biggest distinction is that he is called by the God of the everyverse. Okay, multiverses aren't enough. We need the everyverse. So in this passage, we're going to see that God called, so Abram went, and that's the title of this week's sermon, <laughs> So Abram Went, because following directions, you know, it's it's... It's basic, but it's often hard. And the key idea that I hope we're going to engage with is that God calls his own to a journey that he creates, that he sustains, and that he blesses. And Abram is a life example of a life lived not perfectly, but responsively to God. And we don't make Abram the point of everything, and yet let's give him his due. So today's passage has a specific sequence of events. God's call to Abram, Abram following God, and then Abram continuing and worshiping God. So let's start with God's call in verse 1. Genesis 12:1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Notice that the text that we're reading from says, had said, like that's a past encounter. And so we go... Did Abram follow immediately? It's hard to answer that question from our passage. So let's go back, check context before what Pastor Chris covered last week in Genesis 11. At the very end, verses 31 and 32 say this, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Woo! 
This account has Terah leading some of his family from their home in Ur toward Canaan, but they stopped in Haran. So if the question is, did Abram hear the call and immediately go, Genesis 11 doesn't help much either. It's almost like we have to read Scripture to interpret Scripture. So let's do that. Let's go back to a guy Tim called Stephen, not Curry. We'll call him Deacon, Stephen Deacon, the martyr from Acts chapter 7. He says this, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you're now living. So Stephen seems to be describing prompt obedience by Abram to God, to his call, but then Abram settles in Haran. Okay, so he got quickly to Haran, but there he stops. And maybe dad is tired. As a dad, I I can tell you I spend more time tired than I ever expected to. Maybe it's a bad season to travel. Uh, Gas and fuel rates are high, I don't know. But Abram started in response to God's call and then stopped moving. And I'm here to tell you that you haven't come this far just to get this far, okay? You didn't come this far just to get this far. There's further to go, and I can tell you that because you're still breathing air right now. So the reason that I'm making a big deal about it is because a lot of preachers and commentators make a big deal about it. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites, has a whole sermon about you know, basically get off your tails and go because God has called you. And if you've experienced God's calling, of course you should go. But here's the thing. We often will be looking back at something we feel God clearly communicated one way or another, and we get stuck thinking about it and worrying about it. And that's not what happens here. You notice that? There's no oh, oh no, I should have done this earlier. We get no sense of that. God's call is renewed. Abram responds, hooray. He came to a stop because he didn't have a next step until his father died, maybe. We don't know. In any event, let's not put ourselves in the place of expecting that God is going to be nagging us and being bitter about us because we were slow to follow. Let's figure out what today is. All right, God says go, but he also says, I'm going to be doing something as you go, Abram. Back to verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Okay, so he's going, and what's he going from? He'll be leaving everything he knows, his country, his national identity, whatever that was, is going to be of no value as he pursues God's plan for him. In, In our day and age, that's a difficult idea to embrace, God's plan is bigger than my other identities. From your people. Uh, This could mean his birthplace, but it could mean what it says in this translation, from your people. In any event, it's his neighbors, it's his friends, it's all the people who know him with whom he has relationship. It's like leaving all your friends and having only the creator of the universe to be in relationship with. Okay, well, that could be okay, assuming that you 
have a relationship with the creator of the universe and that that can sustain you. From your father's household. Okay, he hadn't entirely done that when he moved to Haran, but there aren't gonna be any more family reunions is part of what's being said here, okay? He's moving on from that extended family even in this temporary spot and he's never going back to Ur either. Uh, that's everything. He's giving up everything in order to follow God's call. So what is it that God is going to do? He says, I will, and he doesn't say, I will one time. Here's multiple promises. Verse two, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Okay, that, that sounds pretty good. Three I will statements. We have a slide for that. Abram will leave a nation, one he's always known, but he's going to start a great nation. He's going to leave one, but he's going to get one. He's going to leave everything his family has built, but he has God's blessing building into his life. Abraham himself is going to be unknown as he moves, but God says, you're going to be honored and respected. How honored and respected? Over half the 8 billion people or so on this planet follow a religion, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all of them honor Abram. And you can say, well, are all of those valid religions? That's not what I'm talking about at the moment. What I'm talking about is, is Abram still honored and respected? Yeah. He left a mark that endures. It's crazy how significant his existence was. Verse three, more I will statements. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I think we've got a bulletized version of that, and Abram isn't moving out into the unknown without some help. He's not going to go without God both leading him and sustaining him. And that means that Abram will be sort of a touchstone of God's blessing. How people treat Abram will be how God will treat people. And we'll see that coming into play repeatedly over the next weeks as we go further into Genesis. But God has the power of life and death, of plenty and of lack. He's in control of all of those things. And he says, Abram, you're going to play this unusual role in how I manifest blessing and curses on earth. But what is this all peoples on earth will be blessed through you? If I'm editing the essay, I'm like, why are you using the passive voice here? It's so indirect, I don't like that. It doesn't say I will bless all peoples on earth, that would fit the pattern. What it means is gonna be explained further in the Hebrew scriptures and also in the writing of the apostles, but let's take away this for now. Abram's going is significant, but God's will and plan are what matters most. God wants Abram to be confident that God has a plan for people from every nation to experience God's blessing and that Abram is gonna be playing a role in that. How could one hear this without getting a swelled head? Like literal brain explosion going on here because who, who's Abram? Well, God just picked him. So back to something I, I mentioned before, 
God doesn't say in this context, why didn't you go already? Have you ever known what God was calling you to do and you feel like you didn't run after it for good reasons or bad reasons? Does something come to mind when I say that? Man, a few things come to mind how long it took me to come around to his plan. Is there some matter of obedience that you have been facing for a while and you haven't really budged? When it comes to mind, are you still upset with yourself? And that's actually further preventing you from moving on. Sort of like my whole to-do list, uh, to be honest. Follower of Jesus, if you are persisting in guilt or shame about some past lack of obedience, you can still go now if God is still calling you to something that you're not doing. Put your energy into that not into chastising yourself for what hasn't happened in the past. If you're going where God is leading already, that past delay is no longer relevant. And you go, I don't know what that means. Here's my example, staying with the finals from last week. So I gave you a ticket to the game, courtside, and I gave you an airplane ticket to Boston. You're welcome. And I gave you a hotel room for the night, and you fly in, and the next morning you start watching YouTube videos, and you completely lose track of time, and you realize all of a sudden that the first quarter is already halfway done. Do you sit in your hotel fretting about the fact that you've already missed some of game six? Do you go down, stand outside the garden, and go, man, I could be in there already? Do you walk into the garden, stand in the concourse, watching people get, you know, hot dogs or something, and go, oh, I can't believe it. it's almost the second quarter now? No. You would know that that was dumb, right? Right? <laughs> okay. The point is that fretting over past mistakes is a really, really bad use of time, but worse, it's a bad use of energy. That energy needs to go into what are you actually being directed to? And God is not saying in this passage, Abram, why didn't you do this earlier? He's not telling you that right now either. He's saying, do what I want you to do now. Do now what I want you to do now. Don't worry about the past. Yesterday, just like tomorrow, has enough trouble of its own. So my, my question is up there. What is something you know God has directed you to do, but you feel stuck not doing it? Abram knew he had to go, but he got stuck in Haran. And Haran isn't the promised land. There was nothing there but delay for him and death for his father. But God showed Abram grace and got him moving. So... Let's obey God, thankful for the grace that got us to today. And that's what Abram does next. He follows God's leading in verses 4 and 5. We'll start with 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Okay, he's not a spring chicken, but it's like Tolkien ages in here. And if you're, if you're not a nerd like that, then they lived a long time. And I think we have an atlas page showing... Uh, his journey, and I don't think there's a ton of map nerds in the congregation today, and even if there were, you can't really see it, but down on your right is Ur, and it goes kind of up, and over there is Haran, 
and then down into Canaan is where he's headed. It's like an inverted V, and he's going from east to west, and he goes up north, and then he heads back down south. And so Haran is kind of this northernmost point. It's kind of in the middle of the trek, according to this map. The thing that stuck out to me as I was thinking about this whole journey and this whole passage is he's leaving now this waypoint that he stopped at, Haran, and he's fully committed to it. Verse 5, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Okay, his father is dead, he has no children, but he takes his wife, his orphan nephew, he takes all their stuff, puts it in the U-Haul, because he's not packing for a trip, right? This isn't his carry-on luggage he's taking. He's not even going on a scouting season. He's like the Dust Bowl people. Do you know about the Dust Bowl people? They lived in a place where they couldn't work the land anymore, and I think we've got a picture of this, and uh, you've got everything you've got on your truck, and you're going to head out. Abraham brought his whole life, and he left nothing to return to. He didn't burn down home or anything like that, as far as the text tells us, but he's gone. He's gone. So, destination unknown. The other thing, I have to, I have to give you this sideline here because it says the people he had acquired. And if you're like me, there's like a visceral something that starts to clench up. And uh, I have to point out two things. One is, in the ancient Near East, like almost the whole world over almost all of world history, slavery was an economic reality. So he's not especially different from anybody else. That's not really enough. But the other thing is, it is, after all, June 19th. 157 years ago, what happened? A major general in the Union Army sent out General Order Number 3 that said, hey, among other things, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property before, between former masters and slaves. The connection heretofore existing between them becomes that of employer and hired labor. Okay, they become workers. They become what would have been called in the North before that free labor. Not because their labor was free, but because they were free to work or not, unlike a slave. Here's the thing that chaps my hide about 157 years ago, is it's two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So news hadn't gotten to Texas yet. News hadn't gotten to slaveholders and slaves alike yet. And look, ending slavery, there's still misunderstanding, there's still prejudice, there's still violence among people, but a key legal change was made. Slave was no longer a legitimate official status because people are people and people are not property. This shouldn't have to be said, right? And yet, Scripture has been used, twisted, to support a view that people can be property. But the servants that Abram kept are people. He sees them as people, not as property in the sense that disgusts us when we look at world history. In fact, later in Genesis, we're going to see Abram confiding to God that, that he's like, I, I don't have an heir, God. I don't have a son. So one of my servants is my heir. 
I mean, good for the servant, but that wasn't his hope. His hope was that he was going to have the family that God promised. But in the absence of that, it wasn't, he wasn't giving it to Lot. He had one of his trusted, valued servants was going to be in charge. When Abram followed God's call to Canaan, he went. He committed. Whatever the cause of delay in the first place, the delay is over. There's no reason to go back, and he's going to continue. And he's going to do that in this last few verses. He continues worshiping God. Verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And that last sentence is kind of creepy. Uh, The Canaanites were in the land. You know, there's this sense of there's going to be ongoing trouble. And yeah, there's going to be ongoing trouble because they're going to be in the land for a long, long time. That's not just a spoiler alert. That's That's always going to happen. There's always going to be opposition, whether from the outside or whether from the inside. That's just the nature of life as we live it in this imperfect world among imperfect people like ourselves. But where did Abram go? He went to this great tree of Morah at Shechem. Okay, this great tree, this would be the kind of place that the pagan inhabitants of the land would go to the tree and it was used for divination, magical purposes, religious rites, that kind of thing. This tree is called mora, which means teacher, the tree of teaching. So if I've got an issue in my life, I'm gonna go to the tree and ask it a question in some way and it's gonna tell me an answer. And I'm really, really grateful that this is not how we do things anymore. We ask the internet, which is way more trustworthy, right? Yeah, and this spot is going to be mentioned later. It's going to be mentioned in Deuteronomy as a place where blessing and cursing happens. It's going to be mentioned in 1 Kings as a place where the kingdom divides between two of the sons of uh, Solomon or two of the factions of Israel, basically. And in Joshua 24, there's a reminder that God's not only leading Abram, but he's leading him out of his father's form of worship. So Joshua 24, 2 and 3. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Okay, many descendants that God promises to Abram Joshua is addressing them. There's a ton of them at that point. It's a reality. But where they're going into is a place where pagans live, where they look to have their fortunes told, where they look to oppose God's plan and God's presence. And God has called Abram not only to do something different, but to be someone different, different than his father, different than his nation, different than the occupants of the land. All those outside influences that are totally normal for him and for us, God said, I got you on a new plan. Abram has put his his future in the hands of another master, not himself. And he's realized that he isn't the captain of his own soul anymore because it belongs to the Lord. And in this place of paganism, God appears and he gives couple of remarkable promises in verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So offspring and land are promised. Abram doesn't have any offspring. Okay, this is pre-IV, 
fertilization and he's, uh, he's stuck. He's left a nation. He's promised to father a nation, but he doesn't have a single child at this point, and it's going to be a long time before he does. But the issue isn't what, God, uh, what Abram lacks, it's what God can provide. And God says, Abram gets offspring. Okay. It's Father's Day. Are you thinking about your family of origin at all? I'm fortunate to have a wonderful dad who, if the pattern holds, will be watching this video next week. So happy belated Father's Day, Dad. I used to joke in my own family that uh, we had the college fund and we would put money aside there, and then we had the counseling fund from having me as a dad and we should put money there. <laughs> and bad news, kids, there is actually no counseling fund. Um, God promises Abram offspring and land, but in all of this, he's also promising relationship. And maybe your dad is gone, and that makes today difficult. Maybe you're carrying the weight of having had a different relationship with your dad than you would have liked. Maybe your father has let you down, and you still feel it. I don't want to minimize that in any way because that's a reality for a lot of people. But look at Abram. He's moved on from Ur. He's moved on from Haran. He's not looking back. His dad was a pagan, but Abram's going to have a sustaining relationship with God, the God of the universe. In the past, maybe delay. There's for sure death. There's probably disappointment. In the future, whatever it brings will be God's presence. And here he's going to make an appearance. And here's a sidebar briefly. Um, God speaks to Abram, right? He speaks to Abram in this passage. He's going to speak to Abram in other passages. We don't know what his appearance was like. I've never had an appearance of God described this way. And this isn't a sermon about how, how to hear from God. We should probably do that at some point, but um, this isn't the passage for that. But here's what I want to say about that. You should know that I don't believe people most of the time when they tell me what God has told them. I, I just don't. That's not because I don't believe God communicates, but because what people tell me God said usually conflicts with Scripture, with aspects of God's character, and with God's greater redemptive purpose. I don't think God's going to contradict those things. Usually, unfortunately, what people tell me came from God sounds like what they want. And I've said before that it's odd how God's voice often sounds like, well, your voice. And I'm not just pointing fingers unless I include myself. That has for sure happened to me. So if we want to hear God's voice, what we do first is get into reading the Bible. And man, if I just tell you to read the Bible, I'm not helping you much. I'm not helping you much. Get help doing that. Not from somebody on the TV, not from somebody on the internet, but somebody like maybe in the room right now who you can assess their character as you get to know them. You can put to the test what they're saying Scripture is saying. And over time, you get to hear what God's voice looks like, what it sounds like, 
what his instructions are like. And you get to see what his plan of redemption looks like because it looks a lot different than what we tend to like. Okay, that's enough sidebar. The land. Here's the land that God promises to Abram's offspring. Here's the land. It's occupied by others. It's traveled in by a man, his wife, a nephew, some servants. Here's how Stephen explained it, Acts 7-5. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. And later they would possess the land. Descendants of Abram possess that land right now or parts of it. But ultimately, the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation tell us heaven and earth are going to be made new and Jesus will reign on earth and we will experience full relationship with God in a way different than we do right now. We get a taste now, a promise now. We get to gather here to worship with one another as a foretaste of what it will be like to experience God's glory in full. And Abram's response is also to worship. So in verse 7, he builds an altar. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram responds to God's appearance by building an altar, you know, a little rectangle of rocks. It's not a road marker like sometimes you'll see here or the little blue plaques. I don't know if you've seen them in the UK. I think we've got a picture of one uh, at a place where Charles Spurgeon uh, wandered into a chapel and uh, followed Jesus after a short, bad sermon. It's an interesting story. What Abram is building is a durable place of worship. It's these stones stacked. There's no sacrifice mentioned, but when Noah got off the ark, he did an animal sacrifice to God out of gratitude. And this altar is probably a combination, a place of worship and a place to remember what God has done so far. Do you have a place that reminds you of what God has done in the past? Do you have a place where you have worshiped God and when you think of it, it reminds you of something God has done? Um, the building is gone now, but there was a place on Fremont Avenue in Sunnyvale where uh, I learned to worship God in a different way than I ever had before. And I learned to let go of some plans that I had that I had wanted to hold on to. And I had my values realigned by a God who loves me. And I said, okay, my life is yours. And I don't know how long it was after I said that, but all of a sudden, this wonderful woman, Karen, came into my life and we started having these conversations. And I was like, who are you? And so when I see Karen, I see her as a reminder of the goodness of God and of his provision when I said, I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm not pushing my own plan anymore. I didn't know that was going to be a result, but what a happy one for me. <laughs> Hold your applause, please. I'd better continue on because that's what Abram did. He continues to the hills. Verse 8, from there he went on to the hills, hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent 
With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He continues, continues traveling still in the land of Canaan. He sets up a temporary camp. So I've got another Dust Bowl era picture. Here's a guy who's a, a worker. I think he was actually a tradesman. And uh, he's living in a tent because that's what happens in uh, Dust Bowl era. He's camping. He's a traveler. He's going overlanding, maybe. Um, and he's left all this stuff behind. He's brought some stuff, and he's going to live in a tent. Is that anybody's dream scenario here? Just out of curiosity. Okay. So Matthew Gilmore would like to live in a tent. May your tastes never get more demanding than that. Well, not long ago, we were talking about building a massive city to make a name for oneself. And this is the opposite of that in any event. And this is the second altar that Abram builds in the land. So there are now two permanent markers of God's intervention, of God's sustaining, and not one permanent marker to Abram. He's being like a Boy Scout. He's not leaving a mark. In verse 9, he continues even further. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev which is a mostly dry desert region further south. And next week, we'll find him heading even further south and east into Egypt. Okay, let's pull this all together. You remember that God said he would give Abram offspring back in verse 7. Here's how Paul, the apostle, applies that verse in his letter to the church in Galatia. Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. And we'll see this later in Genesis, offspring in the singular form, and Paul says that's Jesus. That's not one son of Abram. That's a future descendant, a person to come, who's going to be as different from everybody in Abram's line as Abram was different from everybody in his world. Jesus is the ultimate offspring of Abram, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises and the ultimate blessing to all nations. And you remember God said, how people treat you, Abram, is going to be how I treat them, blessing for blessing, curse for curse. You think that was important in Abram's life? Wait till you meet Jesus. Because literally, how we respond to Jesus, God says, is how I'm going to respond to you. You say, I want him, I want to follow him, I want to be his. God says, I got you. You say, I don't want that, I want to be the boss of me. God says, go to my son, bless him, bless his name, kiss the son. Millions have benefited from God's promises, but the biggest fulfillment of all God's promises is this Savior, the one who will be a blessing to all nations. So, Thank you, Father Abraham, for listening to God and doing what he told you. And Malik, if you don't mind coming up, let's return to musical worship. Let me pray. God, in a, in a passage that feels like a weird combination of anthropology and history and geography, You have hidden the presence of your son, and then you exposed it. 
but the things that you offered to Abram, you continue offered it to us through Jesus. You offer relationship. You offer life. You offer a sustaining power in the middle of the darkest times that are going to come in Abram's life and the difficult threats that he has to face. God, would you make us people who want to be your children, who want to follow you and experience that relationship in a way that makes us so alive, even though it's different from the life we've always been pursuing. I thank you that that's on offer to us through your son. I thank you for your plan and your way being so much better than ours. And I trust us to your care as we follow you. Help us to go where you call. In Jesus' name, amen.